Hey, this is Caleb Cole, pastor of Project Church in Sacramento. And man, I am so excited for you to hear this word. I believe God is going to encourage you, strengthen you, and challenge you through it. So get ready to receive from God today. So Jesus, we need the change, the move of God that we're asking for to start in every single one of us. God, we don't want to come in here and go through the motions of church. We don't want to come in here and stay stuck in the failure of our past. We don't want to come in here and stay in bondage to the sins that have had us bound for far too long. So God, we ask for freedom in this place. We ask for deliverance in this place. We ask for miracles in this place. We ask for revival in this place. God, it's got to start in us. So whatever we must bring to you, we lay at the feet of the God of the universe. We say, take it. Do with us what you will. Here am I. Use me. Here am I. Send me. God, we want to see revival, but it's got to start in us. So change us. Move us. Deliver us. Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. In John 1, 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was, was God. He was with God from the beginning, and he is the light of life. This church has been and always will be about light, and his name is Jesus. The light of light is Jesus. The light that we need, that this world needs, that we're meant to carry is Jesus. So today, as we kick off this series on the book of Genesis, we're going back to the beginning, and we're remembering that Jesus was there always has been and always will be. So as you're seated this morning in the spirit of worship, I want you to tell your neighbor, we're going back to the beginning. Tell him, we're going back to the beginning and watch this.
Come on, who's excited for the book of Genesis? Here we go. What a great creative opener. Thank you to our team. Uh, man, we're just excited. My name is Caleb and Chrissy and I right here, the lead pastors of this church. If you're new, so glad you're here. Um, this is my first time speaking in four weeks. So actually in five weeks, took four weeks off, went on vacation, went to Arizona, went to Palm Springs, drove 12 hours to Arizona, five hours to Palm Springs, seven hours back. Where my dads that just hit the road trips. Come on. My manly men drivers at, okay, I don't know. We're the wives that drive for your husbands. Come on. Chrissy did a couple hours. Proud of you, babe. Uh, she drove a little bit, but man, I'm excited to jump into the book of Genesis. We are a church that goes through uh, books of the Bible. So we finished the book of Mark a few weeks back. It took us three years, and now we're jumping into the book of Genesis. And uh, just a heads up, we're going to do this one a little faster. Uh, Mark took three years. I think it was 62 messages or something like that, um, but... We're going to do Genesis in 16 to 17 weeks. We may change it a little bit, but as of now, that's what it's looking like. And that's going to take us into the beginning of next year. Uh, we're going to take a few breaks, do some other series. But I believe it's powerful when we go back to the beginning. Uh, when we go back to the beginning and we allow our lives to be led from a biblical worldview. I think right now there's a lot of things trying to grab a hold of your perspective, trying to guide you, lead you, but it must be the word of God that guides us. It must be the word of God that leads us. And so as a church, we will always open this. We will always dig into this. We always allow this to shape the worldview that we have. And so today is going to get a little crunchy. I'm just warning you, the 8.30 was not ready. It was too early. <laughs> and uh, I caught him off guard, but it was good. Um, but I want to lay out the next three weeks, just so you can see, we're going to be in Genesis chapter one and chapter two, the next three weeks. Today, we're looking at in the beginning was purpose. Everybody say purpose. Week two, next week, we're going to talk about in the beginning was identity. And then week three, we're going to talk about in the beginning was Jesus. And so I want to invite you to come back, man. God's doing something. Look at this middle of summer packed room. Come on. How many of you love being in the house of God together? This isn't normal, by the way. Summers are supposed to be down times, but y'all love Jesus. Come on. Um, if you're new here, we're so glad you're here. So I want to talk to you today about how in the beginning was purpose. Now, let, I want to just, you know, start by saying as a young man, I was searching for purpose like so many of you. And I thought in eighth grade when I made the eighth grade basketball team, that my purpose was going to be to bless the world with my basketball talent, all right? Um, I just stopped. Man, I found my purpose. I made the team. They all doubted me. Didn't think I could do it. Made the team. I was, out of 15 people, I was 15th on the depth chart. Um, but I made it, and I thought, this is it. And so I started to pray to God every single day. I said, God, I need you to make me a little bit taller. I need you to make me a baller, all right? And so... So I prayed, God, make me taller. The start of my sophomore year, I was now moved up the depth chart, starting point guard for the JV team. 
as a sophomore in 10th grade, I was five foot, four inches tall. And I was like, God, I'm still waiting for that. Make me a little bit taller thing. And how about you know, God answers prayers. And I pray, God, I need you to make me 6'4". And then that year I grew seven inches and I hit 6'3 and three quarters. And God was like, I'm not going to quite give you everything you want so you don't get prideful. And uh, But God is good. Come on, church. But hey, I realized my senior year that my purpose was not going to be to bless the world with my basketball talent. I just realized that wasn't where I was going, mainly because I wasn't good enough. And uh, I began to realize it. And so then I, I went on the search. I went on the, the, the seeking God, like, what is my purpose? What am I supposed to do? What's my calling? And that's what I want to talk to you about today, because I think so many of us, even now as adults, are struggling with purpose. We're struggling with calling. Uh, I, I hit 40 in August of last year, so it's almost my birthday again, going to be 41. And I don't know, I'm, I'm middle-aged now, I realized. And so, so when you hit middle age, you start to have these thoughts and feelings, and you start wrestling with your purpose again. And so I would say, you know, around 40, I started just thinking like, man, it, it, what is my purpose? And like having those conversations with God again. And so I think it's okay if you're in this place and you're still wrestling, you're still searching. What's my purpose? What's my calling? I think God gives us little seasons of unique callings, but the word of God and in Genesis one, we actually see that we all have the same purpose. And sometimes we have to go back and remind ourselves of the basics of the purpose that we have as the creation of God. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to do today. Okay. Are you with me? We're going to dig into the basics of the purpose that God has for all of us who are his created children. In the beginning, you were given purpose and your understanding of it will dictate the direction you live your life. And I think today in this place, maybe God is going to begin to take some of you in a little bit of a different direction. He may be shifting you and realigning you according to his word. And so I am believing that today is going to encourage you and challenge you. But before we can dig into your purpose and the purpose you had, we need to actually understand and go back to the basics of the purpose of the book of Genesis. Because I, I sent a text out, we did as a church, and an email out, and some of you are maybe here for that reason, because you're like, oh, evolution versus creation. Yes, we're going to talk about it today. But I'm not going to spend the whole morning talking about that. Do you want to know why? Because when the book was originally written, the purpose was not to convince people of creation over evolution, or vice versa. In fact, we have to go back and understand the, the history and the background and the context of the book of Genesis. So most historians, theologians believe that Moses wrote the entire Pentateuch, all right? Penta being five. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That is the Pentateuch in the uh, original Old Testament covenant that we have. They believe Moses wrote it. So we believe Moses wrote the book of Genesis, so what was the purpose of Moses writing the book of Genesis? It was not to convince them of creation over evolution. In fact, the original book was written to the Jews. Moses gave it to the Israelites, the people of God, the, the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which we're going to dig into in the coming weeks. And God was trying to show them the connection of the God of their fathers 
to the God of creation. He wanted to show the Israelites that the same God that you serve, Yahweh, as we see it in the Hebrew uh, text, is the God of creation. So that's why he wrote Genesis 1. He said, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the covenant he made with our fathers, our forefathers, is the same God of creation. That was the first purpose of writing it. The second and primary, and what I want to really challenge us with later today, is it was written because there was a problem with Israel. And it's the same problem that we have today. The problem with Israel was that they had a tendency to worship other gods. They had a tendency to worship idols. Think about it. Moses goes up on a mountain to hear from God. Within a few hours, they're making a golden calf out of their own jewelry to worship and celebrate. Why? Because as human beings, we have a tendency to worship other gods, idols, some are saying, not me. Well, I don't have idols in my life. Yes, we do. They look like the materialistic things of this world. They look like hobbies that take more of our time than they should. They look like unhealthy relationships. We idolize even the dreams that we have. So much that we've idolized in our life, that we've turned into gods. And uh, that's what this book was really about. So I'm not gonna spend the entire morning talking about evolution versus creation because it's not the point of this text. It wasn't the point of this book. And yet I think it is important that we do dig into it because it's relevant to us. Many of you are educated in the public school system. Many of you have been in the church for a long time or you've only been in the church for a short time, but you've wondered, you've asked, you, you've sought God like, man, how, how, what, what did the, the, the creation event look like? Is evolution possible as a follower of God? And so I want to dig into that today. We're going to have some fun. I... In order to explain this properly, I realized that I needed to go back into my bag, so to say, um, my, my education bag. You see, I, I went to school, I got a biblical studies degree, and then I got a master's in theology, and I had to study some Hebrew and Greek in my master's degree, and I don't pull it out a lot on you, but uh, I, I felt like today, man, as I begin to dig into Genesis 1, 1 through 1, 3, which I read earlier, I began to dig into it and read and realized that there is room for what many people would, would struggle with as it relates to a young earth versus old earth. I grew up in the church where I was always taught young earth, right? The earth is about 7,000 years old. That's the only plausible possible explanation. I was taught literal uh, seven-day creation. They were seven 24-hour days. And so what I'm going to do today is I'm going to dig into some of the text and some of the original language. We're just going to take probably the first 10 minutes here to talk about this because we need to understand the purpose of Genesis and the origin of the creation of the world to help us better understand the purpose that we have as God's created children. So if you look at chapter one, one, in Hebrew, it is in the perfect tense. In verse two, there are different verbal forms describing an ongoing state. Then in verse three, there's a shift 
where we see the seven days of creation account begins. And that is where the actual narrative begins with those imperfect verbs. What am I saying? Throw it up on the screen for us. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Leave it up. So as you begin to study the original Hebrew language, it leaves room that these first two verses were an initial creation moment. So this is the first creation moment that God initiated. Then the language changes in verse number three, where God says, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. Then he goes on. He begins to divide light and day from night. He begins to divide the, the, the land from the water. He begins to divide um, um, vegetation and begins to bring it up. He, he, he creates uh, animals and then he creates man. So what we see in the original language, and a lot of even you know, Christian theologians would, would agree, when you really study and dig into the Hebrew, verse one and two is an initial creation account, which could have been an indefinite amount of time. What does that mean? That after the initial creation account, where there is the heavens and the earth, but the earth was what? Without form and void, there was darkness over the face of the deep, so there's no light, and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. That could have been thousands, millions upon millions of years where the earth was formed, the universe was formed, but the earth had not been brought into its form as we know it today. Then verse three, the language changes to where the second creation moment happens, where God starts to form out of what already was that he had already formed. And he begins to create and build a, a, a earth that is congruent with human life, human habitation. Now, what is this saying to us? This is saying that those that see the earth as old, there is room for that in the Genesis account. Now, here's what we say all the time. On the major things, right, we have unity. On the minor things, we have liberty. So what is the major thing? The major thing is that God initiated creation. That God created the universe, the earth, the heavens, the stars, the plants, the, all these things. We must have unity there. But where there's liberty, in the minor thing, it's, well, is it millions of years old, as some scientists would say? Is it 7,000 years old, as some young earth creationists would say? And here's what I would say. There's liberty. I think the Genesis account actually leaves room for both perspectives. And it's okay that we don't all agree, because at the end of the day, this is not a major thing. It is a minor thing. Now, I wanted to, though, just encourage you today because while practically speaking, there is room for even as Christians to be like, well, there's room for some form of evolution, which I would say is more along the lines of adaptation. There's not as much evidence for clear um, 
evolution. And biblically speaking, we do not believe that humans evolved from apes because God spoke life. He made man out of the dust. Then he made woman out of man's ribs. And so again, we must have unity in the understanding that God created man. Again, this is why I would say we need unity. Now, can you still love Jesus and think the other way? You could. And I, I think that we could still agree to disagree. So I want to share with you a few uh, scientists and astrophysicists and their perspective on the Genesis creation account. Because here's what we need to recognize, church, which I love, is that for thousands of years, all of humanity scientifically believed that the universe was eternal. Greek philosophers, Babylonian philosophers and scientists, they always asserted that the universe was eternal. But Genesis, for thousands of years, was saying, no, there was a definite start, a creation moment. And then a hundred so years ago, science finally caught up to the book of Genesis in the Bible. And science said, well, there had to be a start, and we call it the Big Bang. And so Genesis knew what science just caught up with 100 years ago. Genesis knew for thousands of years. So watch this. I want you to hear what some astrophysicists say. Here's Sir John Houghton. Astrophysicist, he says, for humans to exist, it can be argued the whole universe is needed. It needs to be old enough and therefore large enough for one generation of stars to have evolved and died to produce the heavy elements and then for there to be enough time for a second generation star like our sun to form with its system of planets. So again, this could go back to the verse one and two where there was an indefinite amount of time where there was just the earth, it was formless without void, there was dark and it gave time for things to develop. Or God could have just spoke. Because how many you know, God made Adam, he wasn't a baby, he was a grown man. Could he make earth where it seemed like it was millions of years old, even though he had just made it? Absolutely he could. Finally, there have to be the right conditions on earth for life to develop, survive, and flourish. But that is not all. Our current understanding is that for the universe to develop the right way, incredibly fine tuning has been required in its basic structure and in the conditions at the time of the Big Bang. What is this astrophysicist saying? He's saying there had to be some kind of incredible fine tuning for the conditions to be right for the Big Bang to even happen. How, how can I give you this in statistic, uh, statistically speaking uh, terms? I, I read this, statistically speaking, the odds of the Big Bang happening and it creating an environment for life would be like if I took an encyclopedia or, or a Webster's Dictionary, sorry. If I took Webster's Dictionary and I cut up every single letter in Webster's Dictionary into one little tiny square, I put it all in a bag. I shook up the bag. I threw the bag into the air and the, and the little tiny papers all fell into perfect position where I could then read the entire dictionary back front to, to back, first page to last, and understand it, it fell right back into place. That is the same odds statistically of the Big Bang happening in a way that would create life. I'd say the fine-tuning that this astrophysicist is talking about makes a little bit of sense. Wouldn't you? Watch this. Andrew Parker, Nobel Prize winner and agnostic said this. 
Here then is the Genesis enigma. The opening page of Genesis is scientifically accurate, but was written long before the science was known. How did the writer of this page come to write this creation account? I must admit rather nervously as a scientist averse to entertaining such an idea that the evidence that the writer of the opening page of the Bible was divinely inspired is strong. I've never before encountered such powerful impartial evidence that the Bible is the product of divine inspiration. Agnostic, astrophysicist, or sorry, Nobel Prize winner, Andrew Parker. So why am I telling you all this? Because we need to understand and we need to come to a place of believing that God spoke and things came into being. We need to come into unity on the major thing that our God, the all-powerful creator of the universe, breathed, and with a word, all things came to be. Is there room for an old earth? There is in the scriptures. Is there room for a young earth? There is, and I could go into other statistics to go on both sides. We don't have time for that, nor is that the point or the purpose of Genesis. But I felt like we need to come into unity. And in order to understand our purpose, we must also recognize that God, the intelligent designer, meant for this all to happen, for you to happen. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He has a plan and a purpose for you, and he sees you. And you're here for a reason. It says he knows how many hairs are on your head. In the beginning was purpose. Everybody say purpose. I want to talk to you today about your purpose. You see, you were made to do some things. God made you on purpose, for a purpose, with purpose. And the first one is you were made to worship. I talked about it earlier. The issue and why Genesis was written to the people of Israel was to Show them that they are to worship the God and one true God and him alone. The God of their forefathers, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the purpose of Genesis, that we would worship him alone. And yet today we worship so many things. Like Israel, humanity has struggling, struggled with worship and worshiping the wrong things forever. You were made to worship. You want to know how I can illustrate this? I knew it, you know, from the Bible that I was made to worship. And I knew it down in my soul, but I really knew it when I went to a Coldplay concert. <laughs> yes. Now, I don't know if there's any Coldplay fans in here. I mean, me and Chrissy have been rocking hard with Coldplay since 2000. I think that's when Yellow came out. You know what I'm talking about? Look at the stars, look how they shine for you. I'll hit that falsetto, y'all ain't ready. <laughs> Everything you do, it was all yellow. All right, you guys know. I mean, fix you, change my life, church. And uh, I'm kidding. But I, I, I remember going to a Coldplay concert and uh, walked in and Chris Martin gets up there and starts doing his thing. And that first song hits. I don't know, it was maybe Scientist probably. And uh, the second the band starts and they start singing everybody in the room did the same thing 
You know what they did? They did this. I'm not kidding. I'm at a concert, a Coldplay concert. Chris Martin, the whole crew doing their thing, and the song starts in the first song, and everyone in the room is just like this. And they're singing, it was all yellow. <laughs> your skin, oh yeah, your skin and bones, right? Turn into something beautiful. Okay, I'm not going to keep going. And uh, everyone, hands up. And I'm sitting there and I'm looking around. I'm like, what is happening right now? And I realized it. We are made to worship. You see, the Bible tells us to lift our hands in praise. So we do it out of obedience. But I realized in that moment that we don't even have to be told to do it. It's our natural inclination to want to worship. The problem is we're worshiping too many of the wrong things. We're worshiping ideologies, perspectives, political parties, people, uh, athletes, money. We're worshiping positions and power. We're worshiping all these things, and we were made to worship the Creator. Romans 12.1 says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. What is that saying? It's saying your life, your deeds, everything you do, everything you say, everywhere you go, every environment you walk into, that it's all worship. Your life is a spiritual act of worship. Do you hear me, church? Not just when you're here on Sunday mornings singing worship. That is this much of worship. Worship is how you live. Worship is how you love. Worship is how you treat your neighbor. Worship is what you say to that coworker that you can't handle all the time. Worship is everything you do with your life. Your life is a spiritual act of worship. And when we have that perspective, it changes how we live. And so some of you in this place are struggling with purpose, and it's because you are not seeing everything you do as worship. You're not seeing your parenting as worship. Your, your relationship with your spouse as worship. You're not seeing how you handle your finances and your money as worship. You're not seeing your job as worship. You're not seeing your day-to-day, mundane things as worship. And yet the Bible says, let everything you do, your bodies, your actions, be a spiritual act of worship. And I believe that we would walk with a lot greater purpose today if we just shifted our perspective that little bit. Said, you mean everything, Caleb? Everything. Every, really? Every, everything is worship. You were made to worship. God created humanity to worship him. That is why we're here, to bring him glory, honor, and worship. But he gave us more than that to do. He wanted to connect it to the other things of our lives that all come back to worship. The second thing we see here in, in Genesis is that we were made to work. Everybody say, work it. Work. 
Genesis 1.28, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. Subdue it and have dominion. What is that? That's work. Genesis 2.18, then the Lord God said, it is, or sorry, not wrong verse. Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Work it, keep it, subdue it, have dominion over it. Church, you were made to work. And I think that we have a generation struggling because they've forgotten what it means to work. I don't know if you all watch Snowflake Mountain. It's on Netflix. If you haven't caught it, maybe catch it. Um, my wife was like, Caleb, let's watch this. And I was like, no, this looks horrible. But uh, essentially they take a bunch of early 20 somethings who are lazy, uh, according to their parents, they're living off their parents, living in basements and side rooms and, um, and, and, and they're materialistic and they just party all day and live on social media and they're doing nothing with their lives and they tell them they're going to a five-star resort and they're gonna just turn up and get crunk and all those things, right? And so they came in their Louis and their Versace. And I mean, they came as bougie as they could be because they thought, oh, this is gonna be fire. And it's like a real world type experience. And they show up and they drop them off in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> and they say, this is wilderness survival. <laughs> Snowflake Mountain, Netflix. And they're like, but you can leave at any time. And one girl leaves within the first hour. She's like, I can't do this. And she's out. But it's crazy. Listen, listen, listen. It's crazy because as the show progresses, you begin to see them change. And those that went from being lazy and self-absorbed and only about themselves start working as a team and start to increase their work ethic and understand what it means to survive. And man, I realized like even watching that, oh, that's so powerful for today because God made you to work. Now, how many know stay at home mom? That's work. So don't get it twisted that work is just having a job because that may be the hardest job on the planet. I'm saying, are you doing something with your hands? Are you putting uh, what God has put inside of you to work for him? Why? Because it's worship. And I wonder if in today's day and age, we've lost sight of just what it means to work. God made you to worship. He made you to work. And it goes on in Genesis 1, 28. I read it already, but it says, God made us to be fruitful and multiply. Genesis 1, 28. The single people are all saying, Amen. The married people, it's a mixed bag. And God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. I want to talk about Roe v. Wade. I told you that 830 wasn't ready for me. Um, I don't think you guys are either, but... You know, we, we made a statement on social media. You can go to our Instagram and read it. Uh, Chrissy and I were on vacation when everything hit. And so it was, it was, a, it was just tough because we were trying to relax. <laughs> and uh, everyone's reaching out to us. And we're trying to figure out, should we say something to the church while we're gone? And then I didn't preach for the last, you know, few weeks since I've been back. And so 
it just was appropriate and it fit in today that I would talk about it from the pulpit because we posted on our social media. And here's what I realized, like I'm not so naive to recognize that we have a diverse congregation. So, I mean, you just look around. We have a very diverse congregation. Well, the challenge that comes with diversity is there's diverse perspectives and diverse opinions. And so I don't, I don't think any of you would be here if you weren't down with a diverse congregation. You would have gone somewhere else already where everybody thinks the same, believes the same, looks the same, but you're here for a reason. You know, you could have gone in some churches after that Sunday, they were lamenting. In some churches after that Sunday, they were having parties and dancing down the aisles. And, and you, could have, you could go to one of those churches, but you're here for a reason. Because I believe looking like heaven is part of the call of the church. And I believe that fighting for unity is something that God has called us to, but how many of you know fighting for unity doesn't mean you're always gonna agree? And so it's okay that we have diverse perspectives in this room. It's okay that we may even disagree on this topic. I saw pastors posting when all this hit that if, if you weren't celebrating, then you don't really love God or you don't even have a relationship with God. I said, how dare you judge the hearts when only God can be the judge. I saw other pastors that decided not to say anything and I, I didn't wanna judge them. We as a church decided to say something. Um, we have always stood from a place of an all life perspective that we value all life, celebrate all life. And so we did say we are humbly rejoicing recognizing that really in California hasn't changed anything for us, but also recognizing that we have people in this congregation who we have relationship, who we've talked to, who have had abortions. Some of you in this room right now, and I just want to tell you that this is a place of safety, of love, that you're always welcome here, that no one will ever judge you based on your past or, or any decision that you've made. We're here to love you and walk alongside of you. A few years back, we had a, a girl, a young girl in our church who was raped and became pregnant. Chrissy and I walked with her through that, talked with her through that, and counseled her through that. And we counseled her not to get an abortion, but she did. And we continue to love her even after that and welcome her with open arms and tell her that God still has a plan and a purpose for her. And so I understand that in a congregation this large and this diverse, there are differing perspectives. But here's what I come back to and why I wanted to at least address it and tell you our heart. Our heart will always be to love people. And someone came to me recently and said, hey, I had an abortion. Do you think I'll still be welcomed in your church? I said, of course. But then I started to think about it. I said, did I overpromise? Like if they talked to everyone in this congregation, would they all love them? Even though they told them, hey, I, I, I had an abortion. I started to wonder, I started to pray. I started to say, God, is that really the heart of our church? And I pray that it is. 
But here's what I come back to, right? This idea, the Bible tells us be fruitful and multiply. But what was the purpose of Genesis? The purpose of Genesis was, what the, was that the Israelites had a propensity toward idolatry. And I believe today we have a propensity towards idolatry. But the idol of today is ourselves. Where we have decided that in a humanistic moment in culture that we will be God. And that's why when I come to this text and I look at the purpose of Genesis, I say, it is not up to us to dictate or determine or decide who deserves life or death. It's up to God. God dictates, God determines. And so I, I wanted to share our heart and our perspective that, that we will always walk through this life in love for people. And if we continue to walk with love, then even when we disagree, and I know that some of you disagree even right now with the perspective, and, and, and I understand the nuance of this, and I understand there are extreme cases where you say, how can you justify not and guess what? We need to have more conversations about it. The problem is in the church, we're just afraid to have the conversations. We avoid them. I could have very easily just kept going today, not ever talked about, oh, we posted something on social media real quick and people read it or didn't, but it's all good. Like that would have been the easy thing. But can I tell you, our heart will be and always has been for people to love people, to point people to the creator who loves them and has a purpose for their life. And I believe that being fruitful and multiplying is more than just having babies. I believe it's also having good fruit as Jesus talked about. He said, when you look at a tree, you can tell what type of tree it is by its fruit. And so I want to ask you, is the fruit of your heart, the fruit of your life, one that is attractive to the people around you? Is it one that actually people want to be in your presence or do they run from your presence? Today, church, we must recognize our purpose on what we were made to do. You see, the final thing we were made to do is to be in community. Genesis 2.18 says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Church, can you hear me? And will you hear me? You were made for community. You were not meant to do this life alone. And I, I've watched over these last couple of years as a lot of Christians have said, You know, I'm deconstructing my faith. And I've just realized that the church has nothing to offer me and I'm gonna just do me and Jesus. That's not how God meant for it to be. Can I tell you something? That's the easy way out. But the way of God and the way of the word is that we get in rooms like this and we get in community groups and we get around tables like we do at summer study right now on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. And we have the hard conversations and we talk about differing perspectives and we love each other even when we don't always agree. 
Because at the end of the day, we must have unity under the banner of Jesus Christ. And how many know in, in, in the New Testament, even with Paul, you know, Paul, like the greatest of all the apostles, he called himself, wrote two thirds of the New Testament. Even he had disagreements. We see that he goes on his first missionary journey and uh, John Mark actually dips, bounces in the middle of the missionary journey. He's like, I can't do this anymore. They finish the journey and they get ready to start their next missionary journey. And Barnabas comes to Paul and says, okay, I wanna bring John Mark again. And Paul's like, nah, fam, this dude is trash. He bounced on, he dipped on us. Like he abandoned us. I'm not bringing him on this. And as a result, it says, Paul and Barnabas went their separate ways. Both did their own missionary journeys. Can I just tell you something? Unity is hard and community can be hard because disagreements are bound to happen. But here's what I love. You know, fast forward 10 years, Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus in chapter four, and he challenges them that they would fight for unity. He says, maintain the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. What's Paul saying? He's saying, look, I've made some mistakes along the way, and I probably pushed some people away that I should have given a second chance. You see, that's what community is about. We serve a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances. In the same way, the community of believers must be a place that always has the hard conversation, that's willing to give people a second chance and a third chance. And even when we're hurt, I'm not saying you allow toxic people to stay in your life all the time, but I am saying that we fight for unity at all costs. Unity amidst diversity. I look in this congregation, I love it. I love the diversity the diverse opinions, the diverse perspectives, the, the diverse political stances. Why? Because what it shows me is that we're unified under one name. We may not agree on all the, all the peripheral things, but under the banner of the name of Jesus, we stand in unity with one another and we will fight for unity for each other. Why? Because under Jesus, we are one. Under the spirit of Christ, we are one. I'm a better man in community. I'm a better man because of my wife. I'm a better man because of the men of God that I have around me. Social media is not community church. I'm better. So I wanted to close right now. And I want to ask you, what are you wrestling with as it relates to your purpose? You see, I believe God wanted to give you clarity of purpose, clarity of calling, clarity of direction in this place. And some of you have been wrestling, wallowing. You felt directionless. You felt like you have no guiding point. And today God wanted to remind you that he has a call on your life. He has a plan for your life. He created the universe. He created you. You're not here by accident. He wants to use you. Your past doesn't disqualify you. Your sin doesn't eliminate you. God can still use you. And so today in this place, I believe God wanted to release purpose and calling on some of your lives. So would you bow your heads across this place? If you're here, you say, Caleb, I, I need Jesus. To be honest, I've been running from God. I've been running from Jesus. I turned my back on him. I've never known him. And today I wanna recommit my life. I wanna give my life to Jesus for the first time. I want you to lift your hand. If that's you, one, two, three, go. If that's you, put your hand up. You need Jesus in this place, yes. 
Anyone else? Yes. Anyone else? Put your hand up. Yes, I see those hands. You can put them down. Church, pray this with me. Say, Jesus, forgive me my sin, my mistakes, my past. Today, I invite you to guide my life, to come into my heart and to lead me from this day forward. Change me from the inside out. I love you, Jesus, in your name. Heads bowed, eyes closed. I want you to have a moment alone with God one more time. If you're in this place, you say, Caleb, I've been wrestling, struggling, feeling purposeless, directionless, uh, like, like I don't know my calling on my life. And today I need prayer, prayer over purpose, prayer over calling. I want you to lift your hand right now in this place. Go ahead, put it up. Yes, yes, hands going up around the room. Thank you for responding, church. You can put them down. Can we stand to our feet, church? I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna go. We're not gonna sing because we went a little long today. But I want you to receive this prayer of purpose over your life. So Jesus, right now, I release and I speak the purpose of God over your church. God, may we recognize, first of all, our purpose to worship. Everything we do, every job we have, every relationship we're in, God, may it be worship. May our lives be a spiritual act of worship. God, I pray purpose though, uh, uh, specific callings, Lord, that you would place people, you would point people, you would show people what you have for them in this next season of their lives. God, release clarity of calling and purpose in this room right now for those that have lifted their hands, those that have asked for it today. Jesus, we don't wanna walk this life in our strength. We wanna follow you. So we pray this in your name today. Amen, amen. I'm gonna invite our prayer team forward. Prayer team, would you come? Line up across the front. Here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna release you. But church, before you go, if you raise your hand, you need prayer over purpose, calling. Maybe you raise your hand to receive Jesus. Our prayer team is gonna be up here. Before you go that way, come this way. But as you go, uh, we got something special for you. We got a treat for you on the porch. We got little fruit bowls to bless you as we've talked about Genesis 1. So church, we love you. God bless you. Have an amazing Sunday. We'll see you Wednesday night for summer study and next Sunday as we continue the book of Genesis. Have a great day, church. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the Project Church podcast. We pray and hope that this message encouraged you, built you up, and gave you life. We want to ask that you would invest right now in what God is doing here in downtown Sacramento. We've just recently moved in to our all-new building in the waterfront, Old Sacramento District. We want to ask you, if you'd like to give, you can go to projectchurch.com forward slash give to invest. Let's see all that God can do through us.